Book One, Chapter Three of the World's Desire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Vina. The World's Desire by H. Ryder Haggard. Book One, Chapter Three. The Slaying of the Sidonians. Morning broke in the east. A new day dawned upon the silent sea, and on the world of light and sound. The sunrise topped the hill at last, and fell upon the golden raiment of the wanderer where he slept, making it blaze like living fire. As the sun touched him, the prow of a black ship stole swiftly round the headland, for the oarsman drove her well with the oars. Any man who saw her would have known her to be a vessel of the merchants of Sidon, the most cunning people and the greediest of gain, for on her prow were two big-headed shapes of dwarfs, with gaping mouths and knotted limbs. Such gods as those were worshipped by the Sidonians. She was now returning from Albion, an isle beyond the pillars of Heracles and the gates of the great sea, where much store of tin is found and she had rich merchandise on board. On the half-deck beside the steersman was the captain, a thin, keen-eyed sailor, who looked shoreward and saw the sun blaze on the golden armor of the wanderer. They were so far off that he could not see clearly what it was that glittered yellow, but all that glittered yellow was a lure for him and gold drew him on as iron draws the hands of heroes. So he bade the helmsman steer straight in, for the sea was deep below the rock, and there they all saw a man lying asleep in golden armor. They whispered together, laughing silently, and then sprang ashore, taking with them a rope of twisted ox-hide, a hawser of the ship, and a strong cable of biblis, the papyrus plant. On these ropes they cast a loop and a running knot, a lasso for throwing, so that they might capture the man in safety from a distance. With these in their hands they crept up the cliff, for their purpose was to noose the man in golden armor and drag him on board their vessel, and carry him to the mouth of the river of Egypt, and there sell him for a slave to the king. For the Sidonians, who were greedy of everything, loved nothing better than to catch free men and women who might be purchased by mere force or guile, and then be sold again for gold and silver and cattle. Many king's sons had thus been captured by them, 
and had seen the day of slavery in babylon or tyr or egyptian thebes and had died sadly far from the argive land so the sidonians went round warily and creeping in silence over the short grass and thyme towards the wanderer were soon as near to him as a child could throw a stone like shepherds who seek to net a sleeping lion they came cunningly yet not so cunningly but that the wanderer heard them through his dreams and turned and sat up looking around him half awake but as he woke the noose fell about his neck and over his arms and they drew it hard and threw him on his back before they could touch him he was on his feet again crying his war-cry terribly the cry that shook the towers of ilium and he rushed upon them clutching at his sword-hilt the men who were nearest him and had hold of the rope let it fall from their hands and fled but the others swung behind him and dragged with all their force if his arms had been free so that he might draw his sword it would have gone ill with them many as they were for the sidonians have no stomach for sword blades but his arms were held in the noose yet they did not easily master him but as those who had fled came back and they all laid hands on the rope together they overpowered him by main force at last and hauled him step by step till he stumbled on a rock and fell then they rushed at him and threw themselves all upon his body and bound him with ropes in cunning sailor knots but the booty was dearly won and they did not all return alive for he crushed one man with his knees till the breath left him and the thigh of another he broke with a blow of his foot but at last his strength was spent and they had him like a bird in a snare so by might and main they bore him to their ship and threw him down on the foredeck of the vessel there they mocked him though they were half afraid for even now he was terrible then they hauled up the sail again and sat down to the oars the wind blew fair for the mouth of the nile and the slave market of egypt the wind was fair and their hearts were light for they had been among the first of their people to deal with the wild tribes of the island albion and had brought tin and gold for african sea-shells and rude glass beads from egypt and now near the very end of their adventure they had caught a man whose armor and whose body were worth a king's ransom it was a lucky voyage they said and the wind was fair the rest of the journey was long but in well-known waters they passed by cephalonia and the rock of egilips and wooded zacynthus 
and Samay, and of all those isles he was the lord whom they were now selling into captivity. But he lay still, breathing heavily, and he stirred but once. That was when they neared Zacynthus. Then he strained his head round with a mighty strain, and he saw the sun go down upon the heights of rocky Ithaca for that last time of all. So the swift ship ran along the coast, slipping by forgotten towns, past the Echinean Isles and the Aelian shore, and pleasant Irene they sped, and it was dusk ere they reached Dorion. Deep night had fallen when they ran by Pylos, and the light of the fires in the hall of Pisistratus, the son of Nestor the Old, shone out across the sandy sea-coast and the sea. But when they were come near Malaya, the southernmost point of land, where two seas meet, there the storm snatched them, and drove them ever southwards, beyond Crete, towards the mouth of the Nile. They scudded long before the storm-wind, losing their reckoning, and rushing by island temples that showed like ghosts through the mist, and past havens which they could not win. On they fled, and the men would gladly have lightened the ship by casting the cargo overboard, but the captain watched the hatches with a sword and two bronze-tipped spears in his hand. He would sink or swim with the ship. He would go down with his treasure, or reach Sidon, the city of flowers, and build a white house among the palms by the waters of Bostron, and never try the sea again. So he swore, and he would not let them cast the wanderer overboard, as they desired, because he had brought bad luck. He shall bring a good price in Tanis, cried the captain. And at last the storm abated, and the Sidonians took heart, and were glad, like men escaped from death. So they sacrificed and poured forth wine before the dwarf gods on the prow of their vessel, and burned incense on their little altar. In their mirth, and to mock the wanderer, they hung his sword and his shield against the mast, and his quiver and his bow they arrayed in the fashion of a trophy, and they mocked him, believing that he knew no word of their speech. But he knew it well, as he knew the speech of the people of Egypt, for he had seen the cities of many men, and had spoken with captains and mercenaries from many a land in the great wars. The Sidonians, however, jibed and spoke freely before him, saying how they were bound for the rich city of Tanis on the banks of the river of Egypt, and how the captain was minded to pay his toll to Pharaoh with the body and the armor of the wanderer that he might seem the comelier, and a gift more fit for a king, 
the sailors slackened his bonds a little and brought him dried meat and wine and he ate till his strength returned to him then he entreated them by signs to loosen the cord that bound his legs for indeed his limbs were dead through the strength of the bonds and his armor was eating into his flesh at his prayer they took some pity of him and loosened his bonds again and he lay upon his back moving his legs to and fro till his strength came back so they sailed southward ever through smooth waters and past the islands that lie like water lilies in the midland sea many a strange sight they saw vessels bearing slaves whose sighing might be heard above the sighing of wind and water young men and maidens of ionia and achaea stolen by slave traders into bondage now they would touch at the white havens of a peaceful city and again they would watch a smoke on the sea-line all day rising black into the heavens but by nightfall the smoke would change to a great roaring fire from the beacons of a beleaguered island town the fire would blaze on the masts of the ships of the besiegers and show blood-red on their sails and glitter on the gilded shields that lined the bulwarks of their ships but the sidonians sped on till one night they anchored off a little isle that lies over against the mouth of the nile beneath this isle they moored the ship and slept most of them ashore then the wanderer began to plot a way to escape though the enterprise seemed desperate enough he was lying in the darkness of the hold sleepless and sore with his bonds while his guard watched under an awning in the moonlight on the deck they dreamed so little of his escaping that they visited him only by watches now and again and as it chanced the man whose turn it was to see that all was well fell asleep many a thought went through the prisoner's mind and now it seemed to him that the vision of the goddess was only a vision of sleep which came as they said through the false gates of ivory and not through the gates of horn so he was to live in slavery after all a king no longer but a captive toiling in the egyptian mines of sinai or a soldier at a palace gate till he died thus he brooded till out of the stillness came a thin faint thrilling sound from the bow that hung against a mast over his head the bow that he never thought to string again there was a noise of a singing of the bow and of the string and the wordless song shaped itself thus in the heart of the wanderer 
lo the hour is nigh and the time to smite when the foe shall fly from the arrow's flight let the bronze bite deep let the war-birds fly upon them that sleep and are ripe to die shrill and low do the grey shafts sing the song of the bow the sound of the string then the low music died into the silence and the wanderer knew that the next sun would not set on the day of slavery and that his revenge was near his bonds would be no barrier to his vengeance they would break like burnt tow he knew in the fire of his anger long since in his old days of wandering calypso his love had taught him in the summer leisure of her sea-girt isle how to tie the knots that no man could untie and to undo all the knots that men can bind he remembered this lesson in the night when the bow sang of war so he thought no more of sleeping but cunningly and swiftly unknotted all the cords and the bonds which bound him to a bar of iron in the hold he might have escaped now perhaps if he had stolen on deck without waking the guards dived thence and swam under water towards the island where he might have hidden himself in the bush but he desired revenge no less than freedom and had set his heart on coming in a ship of his own and with all the great treasure of the sidonians before the egyptian king with this in his mind he did not throw off the cords but let them lie on his arms and legs and about his body as if they were still tied fast but he fought against sleep lest in moving when he woke he might reveal the trick and be bound again so he lay and waited and in the morning the sailors came on board and mocked at him again in his mirth one of the men took a dish of meat and of lentils and set it a little out of the wanderer's reach as he lay bound and said in the phoenician tongue mighty lord art thou some god of javan for so the sidonians called the achaeans and wilt thou deign to taste our sacrifice is not the savour sweet in the nostrils of my lord why will he not put forth his hand to touch our offering then the heart of odysseus muttered sullenly within him in wrath at the insolence of the man but he constrained himself and smiled and said wilt thou not bring the mess a very little nearer my friend that i may smell the sweet incense of the sacrifice they were amazed when they heard him speak in their own tongue but he who held the dish brought it nearer like a man that angers a dog now offering the meat and now taking it away 
So, soon as the man was within reach, the wanderer sprang out, the loosened bonds falling at his feet, and smote the sailor beneath the ear with his clenched fist. The blow was so fierce, for all his anger went into it, that it crushed the bone and drove the man against the mast of the ship so that the strong mast shook. Where he fell, there he lay, his feet kicking the floor of the hold in his death pain. Then the wanderer snatched from the mast his bow and his short sword, slung the quiver about his shoulders, and ran on to the raised decking of the prow. The bulwarks of the deck were high, and the vessel was narrow, and before the sailors could stir for amazement, the wanderer had taken his stand behind the little altar and the dwarf gods. Here he stood with an arrow on the string and the bow drawn to his ear, looking about him terribly. Now panic and dread came on the Sidonians when they saw him standing thus, and one of the sailors cried, Alas, what god have we taken and bound? Our ship may not contain him. Surely he is Resef Mikal, the god of the bow, whom they of Javan call Apollo. Nay, let us land him on the isle, and come not to blows with him, but entreat his mercy, lest he rouse the waves and the winds against us. But the captain of the ship of the Sidonians cried, Not so, ye knaves. Have at him, for he is no god, but a mortal man, and his armor is worth many a yoke of oxen. Then he bade some of them climb the decking at the further end of the ship, and throw spears at him thence, and he called others to bring up one of the long spears and charge him with that. Now these were huge pikes that were wielded by five or six men at once, and no armor could withstand them. They were used in the fights to drive back boarders and to ward off attacks on ships which were beached on shore in the sieges of towns. The men whom the captain appointed little liked the task, for the long spears were laid on trestles along the bulwarks, and to reach them and unship them it was needful to come within range of the bow. But the sailors on the further deck threw all their spears at once, while five men leaped on the deck where the wanderer stood. He loosed the bowstring, and the shaft sped on its way. Again he drew and loosed, and now two of them had fallen beneath his arrows, and one was struck by a chance blow from a spear thrown from the further deck, and the other two leaped back into the hold. Then the wanderer shouted from the high decking of the prow 
in the speech of the Sidonians. Ye dogs, ye have sailed on your latest seafaring, and never again shall ye bring the hour of slavery on any man. So he cried, and the sailors gathered together in the hold, and took counsel how they should deal with him. But meanwhile the bow was silent, and of those on the hinder deck who were casting spears, one dropped, and the others quickly fled to their fellows below, for on the deck they had no cover. The sun was now well risen, and shone on the wanderer's golden mail as he stood alone on the decking, with his bow drawn. The sun shone, there was silence, the ship swung to her anchor, and still he waited, looking down, his arrow pointing at the level of the deck, to shoot at the first head which rose above the planking. Suddenly there was a rush of men on to the further decking, and certain of them tore the shields that lined the bulwarks from their pins, and threw them down to those who were below, while others cast a shower of spears at the wanderer. Some of the spears he avoided, others leaped back from his mail, others stood fast in the altar and in the bodies of the dwarf gods, while he answered with an arrow that did not miss its aim. But his eyes were always watching, most keenly, the hatches nearest him, whence a gangway ran down to the lower part of the ship, where the oarsmen sat, for only thence could they make a rush on him. As he watched, and drew an arrow from the quiver on his shoulder, he felt, as it were, a shadow between him and the deck. He glanced up quickly, and there, on the yard above his head, a man who had climbed the mast from behind was creeping down to drop on him from above. Then the wanderer snatched a short spear and cast it at the man. The spear sped quicker than a thought, and pinned his two hands to the yard, so that he hung there helpless, shrieking to his friends. But the arrows of the wanderer kept raining on the men who stood on the further deck, and presently some of them, too, leaped down in terror, crying that he was a god and not a man while others threw themselves into the sea and swam for the island. Then the wanderer himself waited no longer, seeing them all amazed, but he drew his sword and leaped down among them, with a cry like a sea-eagle swooping on sea-mews in the crevice of a rock. To right and left he smote, with the short sword, making a havoc and sparing none, for the sword ravened in his hand, and some fell over the benches and oars, but such of the sailors as could flee 
rushed up the gangway into the further deck, and thence sprang overboard, while those who had not the luck to flee fell where they stood, and scarcely struck a blow. Only the captain of the ship, knowing that all was lost, turned and threw a spear in the wanderer's face. But he watched the flash of the bronze and stooped his head, so that the spear struck only the golden helm and pierced it through, but scarcely grazed his head. Now the wanderer sprang on the Sidonian captain and smote him with the flat of his sword so that he fell senseless on the deck, and then he bound him hand and foot with cords as he himself had been bound, and made him fast to the iron bar in the hold. Next he gathered up the dead in his mighty arms and set them against the bulwarks of the fore-deck, harvesting the fruits of war. Above the deck the man who had crept along the yard was hanging by his two hands which the spear had pinned together to the yard. "'Art thou there, friend?' cried the wanderer, mocking him. "'Hast thou chosen to stay with me?' rather than go with thy friends, or seek new service? Nay, then, as thou art so staunch, abide there, and keep a good lookout for the river mouth and the market where thou shalt sell me for a great price. So he spoke, but the man was already dead of pain and fear. Then, the wanderer unbuckled his golden armor, which clanged upon the deck, and drew fresh water from the hold to cleanse himself, for he was stained like a lion that has devoured an ox. Next, with a golden comb, he combed his long, dark curls, and he gathered his arrows out of the bodies of the dead, and out of the thwarts and the sides of the ship, cleansed them, and laid them back in the quiver. When all this was ended, he put on his armor again, but strong as he was, he could not tear the spear from the helm without breaking the gold. So he snapped the shaft, and put on the helmet, with the point of the javelin still fixed firm in the crest as fate would have it so. And this was the beginning of his sorrows. Next he ate meat and bread, and drank wine, and poured forth some of the wine before his gods. Lastly, he dragged up the heavy stone with which the ship was moored, a stone heavier far, they say, than two other men could lift. He took the tiller in his hand. The steady north wind, the Etesian wind, kept blowing in the sails, and he steered straight southward for the mouths of the Nile. End of Book One, Chapter Three